Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Dual Screens Podcast. It's going to be a very chill, very relaxed episode this week, I feel. Stephen's off. He's in bed. He's a very tired boy, and I'm flying solo. But that's totally fine, because I enjoy flying solo sometimes. And joining us this week, and I'm very excited about this one, is John O'Reilly and Greg Harding of Flightless, developer of Doomsday Vault, which sounds... A, a lot more terrifying than it actually is, let me tell you. <laughs> it is a puzzle game that tasks players to collect seeds and nurture them to grow new sustainable crops. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? How's it going? Good. Good, thank Do, you. Doing good? Yeah. Doing right? Yeah. We, yeah, it's been busy, busy times, but um, it's good to be on the other side of releasing the game. Yeah, so the game is out. It's on Switch, it's on Steam. What's the, uh, before we get into the actual, what the game is, what do you do in it, where did it come from? What's the reception been like on your end so far for the game? Yeah, it's been pretty good. I'm pretty happy with the release. The game is, um, like you said, it sounds menacing, but it's actually quite yeah. family friendly. Uh, and we came up with a game idea when we'd read about the uh, global seed vault called the Doomsday Vault in Norway having issues with uh, climate change, you know, things were melting and the way it was built, the ice was rolling back into the vault and jeopardizing basically our sustainable seeds that have been housed there for years in case of some kind of tragic event. And we thought that was a real kind of nice spark of an idea for a game. Wow. What if we set the world in this post-apocalyptic thing where your task is going back and rescuing the last seeds and securing, securing the biodiversity? All right, so I, I, that's actually a good place to start because this game is very light on story and lore. Um, and I want to know off the bat, without you know confirming what the actual plot is, what brought us to this point in the world where you have to go around collecting seeds and preserving them and nurturing them so we don't like die as a species? Well, there's there's a backstory which involves uh, a climate catastrophe, mm -hmm. um, and we don't play that out uh, specifically in game, but it provides a grounding for the setting the scene. So we introduce the player to that scene through art and and uh, game design. So the first level starts at a flooded city. So it's mm -hmm. a very familiar situation for people knowing what cities are, but the unusual situation being that the water level is right up to the rooftops. So we kind of set the game ideas and story through art and through gameplay rather than explicitly having dialogue or narration through the game. Gotcha. All right. So before we get into the real details here, I want to just have each of you go over what your respective roles are over at Flightless and all those fun details. So John, we'll start with you. What, what, what do you do for, for Flightless? Uh, I'm I'm the founder and creative director, so I'm, it's my job to make sure that everything goes that goes out the door looks good. Mm -hmm. um, and my background is actually graphic design. Flight started off as a uh, design studio, and we've transitioned into game development over the last three or four years full time. Um, but Greg and I have always made games part time when we were doing our studio work, um, mm -hmm. and the desire was always to be, you know, doing our own products. So generally, I look after the art team and run the business side of things, a lot of, a lot of the stuff that we share, we're fairly a flat hierarchical in, in terms of the, the studio, but yeah, anything aesthetic and concept, that's, that's my bag. 
and everything that's not what John does, <laughs> everything technical uh, is on my side of the fence. Yeah, uh, as John said, we've been working together for well, it's been a long time now, to over twenty years. Yeah. Um, wow, yeah. twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Not in, like that, but in, in various formats, in various companies and studios and things. So, did you always just find yourselves working on the same projects, like serendipitously, or? How did that come about? Like, well, fairly, we started out with fairly small teams, like um, mm. the dawn of the web, pretty much. Uh, um, we were doing interactive design and stuff together, and I was the only, I was the sole technical person uh, surrounded by about uh, eight or nine other designers. So it all kind of flowed downhill from the design team to me mm. uh, before that company uh, expanded a wee bit. So, yeah, everything, every, just about every project that John worked on, I was involved in somewhere along the line. And then when I moved companies, I would headhunt him and bring him to the company yeah, that I moved to. Follow. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we, then we set up our own company um, and uh, doing interactive design and branding and web and museum installation stuff. Um, and as John mentioned before, we were on the side doing our own games and products and the App Store came along and released little iPhone games and uh, gradually expanded from there. So um, in terms of the... Uh, the, the current roles, yeah, I'm, I'm purely on the technical side, uh, some of the game design side. Um, I will look at graphics and look at design with amazement, but I try not to uh, uh, do the bad thing, do, do bad things. So I have to get clearance to use Photoshop and things like that. Gotcha. <laughs> and, I think uh, he described it, we had a call the other day and Greg described it pretty well. He's in charge of making the art team's hopes and dreams come true without melting the device that it's playing on. Oh, yeah. Without <laughs> trying not to by the laws of physics. Yeah. How, uh, how big is the team over there at Flightless? Uh, we're nine at the moment, so we're relatively small. Um, and that's including like finance and a producer. So the actual design and build team is seven. What was the, the point in your careers where you said, you know, you've done a lot of projects for other people for such a long time, small scale stuff on, you know, on the mobile scene and et cetera what was the point where you were like you know we should do this on our own as a team and just be independent there's many points and there were points along the way when we were doing our commercial work where we thought oh we've got enough money now we've got enough experience that we should just cut off that client service side of things and just go all on in this game but i guess we were waiting for a catalyst of a game that was a breakout hit that would allow us you know, a bit more funding to, to do that. And we, we got a, a deal for this game, Doomsday Vault, which allowed us to basically grow the team out and focus solely on, on the game. So it was, a, it was kind of a long time in the making. Um, but yeah, we were just looking for that, that absolute catalyst. Either it was a breakout game or it was a deal, and it happened to be a deal. And it was a trial by fire. Like we had just been working together for a few years doing our games and installation work. And then, uh, yeah, we got the deal and had to, had to find and build the team and, uh, and then build the game in a relatively short amount of time. So we certainly jumped in uh, both feet. All yeah. feet by, all by deal, do you guys be like, you secured funding from some other source to kind of yeah, we did, make yeah. this yeah, game yeah. a reality? Yeah, we did, yeah. Okay. yeah. So the game itself, Let's talk about the genesis of it, where it came from, and how it got to be where it is today. Well, as 
as a game studio, we generally build stuff that isn't, you know, face shooters. We, we, we like to build stuff that has um, a nice message to it without being preachy and throwing, mm. throwing info down people's um, faces about how they should do stuff. So we've got a, an older game that we made called Bee Leader, which we, we did because we'd read about the plight of bees and the colony collapse. And we thought oh, it'd be nice to make a game that had that as some themes in the background that taught kids something as they played um a previous game element which is a, a real-time strategy space game for people that don't have time to play real-time strategy space games also had kind of environmental undertones to it about resource management so doomsday vault was a kind of natural progression from that um that kind of game i guess um and and we had done a lot of museum installation work for like big museums so when you walk into a museum there's a vr display or a tabletop interactive we're very used to that kind of audience 9 to 15 9 to 16 year old audience and done a lot of testing and user testing with that audience so we kind of knew some of the real key markers for what engages that audience so it's around treasure hunting and puzzle solving and maps and those kind of things so Dimso Vault was a culmination of a theme an audience and a desire to make something that wasn't ultra violent yeah, I mean, I played too many violent games anyway, so a little break from that <laughs> goes a long way. Because, like, well, you know, like... yeah, it's just I, I spend most of my time playing games where I'm slaughtering people endlessly without mercy, and then I get bored, I go to one that's sort of just like it in many ways. I'm still killing a bunch of people. But then your game comes along, I'm like, you know what? This is like a perfect, I can lie in bed, play some puzzles that aren't very obtuse and make me feel dumb that anyway most puzzle games do it's reassuring yeah <laughs> so thank you for that off the bat um well there's a, there's a fine line there isn't there like right. you can you can onboard people so much to the experience where you're you're not providing a game you're providing a walkthrough right and that's actually i'm, I'm curious now because i'm wondering what it making a puzzle game because if i were to sit down and like try to make a puzzle i'd be like am i smart enough to like build a puzzle and make a full puzzle game how did you get to that point to know that you have enough higher brain function to to make a puzzle game or to feel confident enough to make something that's actually challenging to people because i'm i feel like i would be like nope this is not i'm not i'm not fully cooked enough for that kind of thinking yeah it's a it's a good question we um we did a lot of uh we didn't have a great deal of time as i said before we did a lot of um white boxing and prototyping um we started with a relatively modest set of of uh, interactions and abilities that the, the robot slash small human had um so we constrained it we, we had some real constraints mm -hmm. and uh we had a, a relatively um, younger audience in mind so it wasn't necessarily an older person's game um, right. that we were focusing on or anything so yeah maybe the puzzles didn't have to be real Mensa level uh, disastrous you know for yeah I for think regular people kind of yeah kind of stuff I think you'd be surprised if you've got a character in a game that you've you know hooked up and you've got them moving around and there's controls and you allow that character to pick up a box mm just that action alone. What can you do with that box? What can't you do with that box? What, 
what is the flow on effect of this character having a box? Can he drop it in water? Does the box flow away? Can he throw the box? It, it become it starts to blossom out of the mechanics that you give the character, the abilities that give the character. So I think um, the original idea for Doomsday Bolt was a little bit more um, almost turn-based um, and it turned into a, a lot more kind of arcadey once we we worked out the, the dynamics of it. And there was a real, um, I guess it was a balance between how, between our audience and how sophisticated those puzzles got, because we do have, I'd say two or three puzzles in there that are quite hard. Um, and restraining that back was, was a fine line the whole way through. Cause we could go completely sick on puzzles. Right. Cause you know, I always go back to this was designed for the player to win at some level. This was made where I can solve it. There is a solution to get through the end of this puzzle. I can't yep. be this, yeah. this stupid. And, and in addition to that, well, the, the puzzles <laughs> had to be solvable, but uh, the, we wanted the game to be completable. Uh, so there's completionist aspects to it. You can go back through some of the levels and collect nutrients and do extra stuff. But the yeah, core game itself, we always wanted to be able to have players finish that and feel good about finishing it. We didn't want to tax people's time. And previous games that we've done, we've, we've avoided just endless stuff and just throwing in lots of extra, you know, loads of endless levels or things that were impossible. Um, it's it's nice to complete a game. And I think all of our games, and particularly Doomsday Vault, like there's a definite finish. You can reach the end. You can complete the game. You can find all the stuff, grow all the plants, feel good. But I think I think that what you said is actually probably the litmus test of a good puzzler, right? We you can't do a puzzle the first time, and then you think to yourself, no, this is solvable. Otherwise, the devs wouldn't have made it this way. Mm -hmm. And then you solve it, and then you get that dopamine hit from solving it, and it's like, okay, I feel good. But you don't want that to come too easy. Otherwise, it's you know, it's not a puzzle. Right. And also seeing again back to the the nutrients, like seeing the little counter, really scratches that completionist itch that i always have in games like this where it's like okay i have something out of 100 and it's on this map i'm just gonna keep walking around till i find all the things because i just have to because <laughs> yeah. as i feel like it's like the ocd like i like all right i can't walk out of here without all these goddamn nutrients and yes. there are a few sneaky ones uh but john yeah. and i do uh, the placing of those. There's a couple that uh, are, are pretty tricky. We get the odd email and the odd tweet um, asking like, where is this final five? Where is this final 10? And I have to like jump into the editor and go, well, actually, where is that? And I have to go find it. They're all visible. Yeah, they, you can they're see them all. That, yeah. yeah. So, uh, one of the, we're working on some new levels at the moment and, um, and uh, Grant, who does a lot of our um, design and, and puzzle design, was asking, well, could I hide the nutrients in something that you have to blow up? And we thought about it and thought, no, we haven't done that for the rest of the game. That'd be really hard. And it does mean that then the robot would have to go around and you would blow everything up to find out if there were nutrients inside it. But we'd already kind of set the precedent with the, with the previous 14 levels that no, you don't have to go and blow up rocks or blow up gas canisters or whatever to find what might be inside them. But there are a couple of tricky ones. We do, um, yeah, we do get the answer. Where is this final five? Where is this final 10? Yeah, and there's no like walkthroughs all over YouTube for this game either, because it, it, A, it just came out, and B, it's like not this AAA mega blockbuster from like Activision or whomever the fuck. So, like, I'm just, not yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. 
I mean, if you're listening, uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> Let's help make this game the next AAA mega blockbuster hit. Uh, watch the space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, on that note, you guys are actually the game as it is now. It's dumb. You guys are building extra levels. As yeah. Well. Yeah. As we speak. Yeah. 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 So, so what's we... that? What's that like for you guys? Cool. Yeah, it's 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 good. Uh, where the the extra levels are looking awesome, um, and the previous levels, as you progress through, uh, we obviously change the theme, change the, the the setting, but we also add a few tools. So the the next region has got a set of levels and it's got a new tool. Which Can is... we tell the tool? Can we tell them the tool? No one else knows the tool. Yeah, no one's actually. We haven't oh. mentioned it. It's a, oh, breaking news. Yeah, oh. it's a it's a grapple hook. <gasps> yeah. Oh wow, that just adds Locker. like. <laughs> a level to the game. Oh, I've never thought of putting a grappling <laughs> game before. That's so it's pretty rare. Hey, I'll, I'll have to know. I've never seen a grappling hook in an isometric puzzling game. Well, yeah, that's the trick. Now, when sure. you guys are jumping, that's going to be like, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But once again, like it's not. And we did the same thing uh, later in the in the game where we're um where the where there were jump pads and the players mm. jumping around. Right. But we can't have freedom if you want. Uh, it would break all the puzzles. So it's, exactly. it's not a, a total free grappling hook. Um, and as John said before, like the, the roots of the game were actually a turn-based game. And we pivoted during, uh, during game design while we were building stuff to a more real-time game. Uh, so there's definitely elements of both sides. But it was so easy to break the game. Even the first mechanic where you pick up a box and drop it in the water, mm -hmm. it, you could drop the box anywhere in the water well we immediately of course picked up two boxes and you could just funnel yourself off the side of the map uh, yeah, you know and sort of like completely world breaking and game breaking stuff so we kind of had to go well actually all of the stuff you interact with is not going to be necessarily on rails but it's going to be constrained it constrains the puzzles constrains the focus of the game and meant for us you didn't just come across the two boxes and a bit of water and just like go around the side of something or off the side of the map and uh, yeah, so same thing with a with a grappling hook. It can't be completely open, but there's some pretty tricky stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and as our team has grown and got more comfortable with our engine, we know where the limits are. Uh, we've had quite a bit of fun uh, as uh, as that kind of um, growth has happened and that learning's happened. Yeah. Where the last couple of levels, particularly the the um, last region in the game at the moment, Egypt, that's the levels that we're most proud of. And we haven't seen so much content and so many reviews and stuff mentioning that stuff. And that's actually our favorite content of the game. Mm. And then that's uh, being recognized as well in the, in the new levels. Um, the, the design's better, the flow's better, the puzzles are trickier. There's more of a sense of exploration and, and uh, other good stuff that earlier in the game we didn't get to. It was quite linear um, for the, particularly the first couple of levels for the onboarding and things like that. But uh, now that we're up into our fourth and fifth regions, being able to combine some of those those basic tools and those earlier puzzles into not um as i said before not like meant to level monstrosities but um certainly a little bit more brain tickling which is which is cool speaking of the game is mechanics and how the core gameplay loop sort of plays out what did you guys look to for influence with regards to designing the actual gameplay because you're mentioning the grappling hook now it sounds like very bionic commando to me at, at some point um, were there other games you were looking at for influence or inspiration when building out Doomsday Vault on the gameplay side of things? 
Yeah, I think yeah. Lara Croft Go was a big inspiration. Oh, okay, yeah, I see that now. The setting and the, the camera angle and the audience, you know, we use kind of a node-based travel system similar to Lara Croft Go. Um, and the initial influence on the on the turn-based as opposed to the real-time. Yeah. We pivoted away from. Yeah, but actually other games, um, it was more a feel, really. We look, There's a lot of kind of reference in there from kind of post-apocalyptic movies and um, the main thing really was the exploration and we described the, the robot character as a combination of Indiana Jones and Wally. It's like a right. science-based thing with robotic abilities searching for these things. <laughs> so it's, it's not it's not combat. The, every tool on the suit is science-based. Okay, there's an explosion device, but that's for excavating. It's not for blowing people up. Um, uh, so, so it was really important to us that we kind of kept that that idea that uh, the robot is on a mission to to discover things, uh, not necessarily blow stuff up. But yeah, so movies. But yeah, Lara Croft Go was quite a quite a big influence. Were there any tools or mechanics that you say for, of course, the grappling you wanted to implement initially that you may bring about like sometime later down the line with additional levels or maps? Yeah, we had quite a few tools that um, didn't make the cut or that would have been world-breaking, um, like jetpacky kind of stuff, vertical stuff, rocket boots, um, and outlandish things like that. Um, we uh, Some of the early ones that we didn't get to, we wanted to have the, um, the robot be able to fix things. So we were going to have uh, like oh, yeah. a, a, um, a duct tape oh. tool. But, you duct know, tape. you had a leaky pipe and you just come up and, you know, <laughs> over some... The room's filling up with water and you've got to run around and fix some pipes or whatever. Um, I forgot about the duct tape. Yeah, yeah, the duct tape, I'd like to bring that back. Yeah. Um, and that uh, also gave rise to other ideas like welding, like you could have a welding tool to fuse some things together and stuff like that. I always want to do the the, um, the duct tape one though. Yeah, that's a good idea. And the, um, and the other one really was probably the scanner. Uh, our original prototypes had a, um, had a scanner that followed the robot around and it was going to reveal things uh, or, or not, you know, depending on what mode it might have been in and stuff. Um, we just felt that ended up being, you're already wandering around doing exploration and blowing holes in walls and, and stuff like that. The scanner would just add, had slowed that down and just added a layer of complexity that, well, actually, the robot, you, you're in a suit, you should have some kind of heads-up display working for you the whole time. So we um, we scratched that one as well. But I would... Um, of all of those, I think I'd like to go back to the to the duct tape. Yeah, duct tape's cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that's got to happen at some point. <laughs> I would, whatever you're working on now, just put it aside and just focus on this duct tape thing because it sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah, I'll think about that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to implement that, but that's, that's <laughs> thing. Yeah, is the idea to release a a batch of additional levels and then walk away or keep adding more as you go along what's like the roadmap for this thing in the future well we've got a new re what we call a region in development which is four levels i think um and that's our story story side our adventure side of the game uh, and then we have smaller bite-sized levels which are the challenge side of the game which are a little bit more hectic and they've got leaderboards so the idea is to to maybe launch a couple of those challenge levels, then roll out the big adventure level. Um, there's lots of other regions we'd like to play around with. The theming gives us uh, a wealth of opportunity to explore different areas of Earth and mess with them 
you know, so you're not used to them. We've got, um, at the moment, we've got like in Egypt or pyramids level, but it's underwater, for example. Um, an ice level would be really interesting. So there's quite a lot of work involved in getting the new region done. Um, so we'll sprinkle some challenge levels in and around that. And the good thing about the challenge levels is they're just like a couple of minutes and mm -hmm. they teach you the tools or they teach you kind of movement um, and they're relatively bite-sized, but people enjoy them. So the idea is, yeah, to keep doing that until there's, you know, the, the tail end of people stop playing means that we had to stop supporting it. But that's a long way off. Right. Uh, I do want to touch on this game's sort of core theme about sustainability and green all, all that fun stuff because i like how there's this underlying message that's not again as you said not too preachy because you know for me if something is really overtly blunt and shoved in your face i immediately go the other way yeah and i'm like yeah. you know what i'm gonna start polluting and have 10 kids to increase our, my carbon footprint in the world because <laughs> this game is just being way too preachy right now yeah yeah um how how do you balance that how do you deliver a message that's not a, that's gonna have an impact but not come across like you're trying to push something on, onto people that, that, that would in a sense turn them off from that core message i think that's where um possible yeah i mean i think that's the setting for us is like setting grounding the world in a setting mm -hmm. so when you do that you have to describe a world you have to come up with a backstory to design for right so our world has that imbued into it like as you travel around the doomsday vault world you're you're presented with areas that are not normal why does this look like that why does that look like that the other thing we took the approach on is rather than having any kind of other uh, on-screen text or narration is that we would just tell the story uh, from the positive side, right? So you're collecting what we've selected as really important plants in, in the world. And let's just, let's just tell people why these plants are important. And not, not from a you know, heavy science point of view, but just for like food, medicine, construction, you know, biodiversity, let's just showcase some amazing plants that people might not have ever heard of or didn't know that were so useful um, and that's that's the approach we took. If we give people the positive information about these plants and why they're pretty cool, uh, then hopefully the the message sinks in from that point of view, rather than you shouldn't be doing X. Got it. Um, yeah, because when it comes to you know again like things like the environment and and going green, like I work for a big company and we're always trying to reduce our our carbon footprint and and be more sustainable what can we do in our in, or us in our lives to help be more green that's a wow. big that's a big question i know i know it's a big one but you know you guys seem to be in this realm you know apparently yeah i, I mean yeah i suppose we've been exposed to it um as we mentioned with our previous games and particularly with doomsday it's obviously quite a, a topic on uh, everyone's minds and i I guess the setting, as John said before, um, we didn't want to be too preachy. There's a lot of the stuff already being talked about all the time, so we didn't want to go too too heavy with it. I mean, we in terms of what we can do, what well, what, like, what are we doing? We've got greenery here in the office. Yeah, we've got That's, a green wall. Yeah, um, we're fortunate that we work in games and we don't need a large, you know, manufacturing plant to stamp out widgets and send around the world. Right? We're, right. we're very the business we are in Those is a digital widgets. Economy. 
yeah yeah and um so so from that point we're okay we can always do better i mean just silly little stuff that seems inconsequential every day but we you know we give all our workers recycle not recycle but glass coffee mugs to go and get mm. their coffee just stupid little stuff like that. It's right. Zero effort, but it does make a difference. Um, we we're based in New Zealand. New Zealand has a I don't know whether it's um, it's it's got an an idea of a clean, green, nature friendly place. Um, and we're very lucky. For example, in COVID at the moment, that you know we're not locked down. Um, we're doing it pretty well. But I I feel like when you come from a small country and nature is on your doorstep the whole time, you're a lot more aware of what's going on in the environment as opposed to if you're in the middle of a big city living in an apartment. So we get, we, every day, you know, we see, you know, we live right by the beach. Um, we see the effects of climate because it's a, the area we live in is a, a crop growing area of the country. Um, so it affects us visually very very quickly because we can see what what's happening in my personal life like we ha i have chickens that get rid of my compost uh i compost food and wow <laughs> yeah yeah you know you, you it, it, it's surprising when you uh treat your your land or your house uh you know in a way that things recycle themselves it's surprising how much rubbish you don't throw out because mm -hmm. it just all feeds on top of each other so we plant veggies, we grow our own food, chickens eat the the rest of that, goes back into the soil, plant more veggies. It's kind of a nice cycle, you know. And yeah. I'll say, I'll say, I'm not being preaching now, but you know, <laughs> uh, living seasonally, you know, eat eat what's in season. Mm -hmm. Tomatoes are not in season, it's winter. Don't eat tomatoes because they'll come from overseas on a plane somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but they're like all over the shops though. They'll exactly. only find tomatoes wherever exactly. you go any time of the year uh yeah they grow actually... like weeds here oh go ahead they grow like weeds here oh yeah <laughs> i'm actually big on um stopping food waste when i cook mm. yeah I'm, I'm big on like can i make like a broth out of this are these bones somehow like can yeah. i use the stem of this thing it's that's that's i think what i do the most in my house it's um, cool yeah You've yeah. got quite a bit of experience with broth making. My, as well. I've made a fair yeah. bit of bone broth in my time. <laughs> I mean, it's a good part. Use everything. Right. So I do have to ask, though, New Zealand, is it really like Lord of the Rings? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we just flew here on it. Ah, there you go. As John was saying before, we're, like, we're incredibly fortunate for a number of reasons um, living in New Zealand, particularly at the moment with, with COVID. Um, but there's, yeah, there's an element of, of sales and marketing and propaganda. And I think New Zealand does pretty well at that. Uh, but on the flip side, yeah, we're incredibly lucky. There's a lot of, a lot of good things in the country and, and, um, a lot of the landscapes and stuff that, yeah, you, uh, that, yeah. that you see in movies like Lord of the Rings and stuff like, yeah, that's, it's real. That's it's pretty much like that. Yeah. yeah. It's all I know is just from Flight of the Concords when I used to watch that show. That's all I know from New Zealand. <laughs> yes. And like he would say, it was a poster in his office. Like, <laughs> it's like Lord of the Rings come to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the marketing campaign done. <laughs> no, it is like that. Um, the South Island, especially of the country, is there's not a a lot of population density there. Um, there's more sheep than people by about tenfold, I think. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it is pretty awesome. How how far away are we from a game like this being a work of fiction to a documentary about how our civilization collapsed on questions. itself? <laughs> This is getting very deep. Yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, climate report that just came out a couple of days ago that's been getting a lot of press and um, and uh, the overwhelming consensus is, well, we're in a pretty bad place. But you don't even need a report. Just yeah. look at the news. Like, Greece is on fire. Yeah, Greece is always on fire. And I'm, that's where I'm from. That's my background oh. from Greece. So oh, cool. my, my mom is always like, you see that? It's on fire again. Like, isn't it like yeah. constantly burning? every yeah. single day of the year well the middle of russia as well siberia yeah. is like like you know some of the coldest places on the planet are burning at the moment so you know drought it's just in your face the whole time it depends on whether you want to actually take that in you know and see what's going on or just right. decide it's happening to someone else and there's a heat wave right now in new york city and it was oh, really? and it was as of five minutes ago raining sideways it was like a legit a storm outside of my window in dead middle of August. Wow. It's like, you know what? Uh, we're getting a little apocalyptic out there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Too much I mean, for my liking. For my liking. It's all around, right? It's just all around. Yeah. You see it. <sighs> well, on those tragic notes, we're going to move on. Make carbon. <laughs> to, something... <laughs> <laughs> to something more fun. And it's my favorite part of the show, guys. It's time for rapid fire oh yes oh no did we get to skip questions okay. and and there's two of you so it's we can have even more fun now because i can oh, ask yeah. you questions about each other but have the other answer so and we have known each other a long time yeah. exactly a lot of yeah, i feel like i feel like this first question out. is the best place to start off okay so i'm gonna ask you both the same question when ask john first okay so john it's like two in the morning you're in bed sleeping peacefully you get a phone call it's the police it's the fuzz and they said that greg is currently being detained he's under arrest and you got to come bail him out what is the crime that greg committed how long have you got <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, what is really, really good? Look. What is the crime the Greek has committed? Yes. What has he done? Thank you. What would he do? Now, nah, Greek's pretty good. Like he's a good guy. I'm sure he is. He seems nice. But, yeah, but I don't know <laughs> I'm saying he... this is now yeah. reality. He's it would in have jail. To be, he's done something. To, yeah, it would be a large misunderstanding. Okay. Like he was trying to help someone out and they got it wrong. He wasn't really helping them or something like that. I think it's a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think it would be that. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, think. Not a postal, some kind of postal link. No, not kind of, uh, no. It would be a timing issue. Greek has an issue with time sometimes. Uh, time is just like another inanimate object, like a table. Uh, so, you know, if you ask him to turn up a certain time. Tardiness. Tardiness. Arrested for tardiness. Arrested, arrested for being late. <laughs> Perennially late. What world is That's this? <laughs> Bring on the floods <laughs> for being arrested for being late. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Greg, same question for you. Same situation. You get a phone call. John's been arrested. What has John done? 
Yeah, Besides so being too nice or being late. That's yeah. Well, it's this twenty-five years of of ammunition there. I mean, he's a he's a pretty keen dancer, pretty keen oh to see. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, probably at the moment, probably at the moment, I'd say some kind of um, running. Yeah, well, some kind of running escapade. You'd be yes. John mm. does a lot of running, so I'm I'm going to put mm. him put him in a place and time and inappropriate for running, or probably or maybe inappropriate for <laughs> Inappropriate <laughs> running. Yeah, inappropriate running. Like, uh, and extreme and, tardiness. It's like they make up new crimes now, guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so some kind of combination of that and maybe um, throw in some whiskey drinking in there too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Ultra running on whiskey is not yeah. advisable. Right. So I think now we're going to do a little tangent. I want to ask John a question specifically. John, what are you running from? What am I running from? Myself. <laughs> running. Oh, I love it. All right. Pineapple on pizza. Probably. Yes. Yeah, yes or no? Sorry? What was that question? Pineapple on, yeah, pineapple on pizza. Yeah. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Greg says yes. John, what do you say? I totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And that's right. controversial, I know. Yeah. Three thumbs up for pineapple mm, on pizza. Yeah. yeah. Rock it on. Is it okay to sleep with your socks on? No. Wow, that's a resounding. I mean, it's okay, no. okay, but I, I would, I would overheat. You're yeah, going nah, to be hanging out and cooling off. Nah, that's not right. <laughs> it's not right at all. Speaking of things that aren't right, when you're getting dressed and going about your day, and you have your socks and your shoes beside you, do you put them on sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Every okay. time. You know, I'm still trying to find the psychopath. In the indie death community, it's going to say sock shoe, sock shoe. Oh, and just, no doubt be plenty. I'm going to call the prisons and be like, you go to jail, sir, because it's all about balance. If you've got sock shoe, but people do no, it, it's like, what happens if you, you know, there's an emergency, there's an earthquake, you've got, you know, crazy. See, also like button shirt up or button shirt down. Don't wear shoes. I mean, don't wear shoes for start, but yeah, yeah. You know, I once put on my jacket without having put on pants first. Is that weird? Yes. I had yeah. like the boxers. You look like some kind of shirt. Yeah, no, you look jacket. like a kind of <laughs> <Yeah>, Right. <laughs> well, you, well, did you have pockets inside your jacket that you were selling stuff from? Yeah. 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 My flasher. Was it an overcoat? Was it a long overcoat? It was a peacoat. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's dodgy. Which in the wintertime, when I go to the gym, after work i usually get changed at the office and i wear like you know shorts so it's like it's you just see like the whitest palest legs and this black peacoat on top right and my boss is always like what are you where are you going now yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you about to do at like eight o'clock at oh. night in the city <laughs> yeah um okay what is something you have done that should have gotten you killed Oh, and you survived somehow miraculously. <laughs> Back to running. I ran too far and ran out of resources. <laughs> uh, started hallucinating and forgot where I was, and luckily made it back to the car. And I was in the middle of nowhere, like literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, very stupid, and my wife wasn't very happy with me once I told her that story. So it's more my wife killing me than the experience of being in the bush when you started talking about the rescue beacons and stuff wasn't it yeah i, was, yeah. I need to get a, a gps rescue beacon 
So wait, were you like doing like a trail hiking thing in the woods? Yeah, I was, I was running oh, into the forest and <laughs> thought I could I thought I could run all the way back. Um, physically pushed myself a little too far, ran out of water, that kind of thing. No no cell phone coverage, hallucinating, you know, trees turning into goblins. Before Just before that. I get before I get to Greg, John, what what made you run into the woods? Training. It's training. It's fun. Did you believe? It's for fun. I don't understand it. I've been trying to understand it. And you were hallucinating. Yeah, you get so tired, you know. Like, I, I, I wasn't that fit. Uh, it was a 29-kilometer run, I think. Okay. And Convert around... miles, quick. Convert to miles. I don't know. Yeah, 15, 18 miles, 19 sure. miles. Sure. Thank you for that, by the way. Thank you yeah, for yeah. the conversion. Yeah. yeah, I was fine up until about my um, kilometer 25, and then yeah, things went south pretty quick. Right. Um, and managed to just, you know, look around and didn't recognize where I was at all in terms of the trail, but somehow got back to the car. So that was, that was good. All right. Yeah, uh, that's hor horrifying. <laughs> Greg, what was, what was your <laughs> what's your story? Well, yeah, I was just saying, I'd, um, strict rule, nothing over, over a 7K run for me, so you won't find me um, needing a, a beacon. Um, well, apart from ridiculous snowboarding some years ago, where um, we're on icy patches and stuff, um, probably uh, when I was young, uh, uh, one side of our family uh, had a farm, a dairy farm, down on the South Island, and we would go down there. And the, uh, the number of times I've probably almost killed myself on a on a motorbike or a quad bike or off in the hills doing ridiculous shit with rifles and hunting and stuff uh yeah it's probably a well okay Why quad not? bikes uh, rifles yeah. hunting. You imagine like what your families would say like let's say john if you perished in the woods running they'd be like how do we even mourn this guy he just, oh, died, he in the, would he just died in the woods. <laughs> he would have died happy if he was out in the middle of the woods in the forest running. It's like, uh, I was fine. I was fine. Or you, Greg, on your quad bikes and your other stuff. Oh, no, my quad bikes. Well, yeah, I, I remember distinctly um, on <laughs> one night down there when, um, uh, and I was probably quite young, I was probably about 12 or 13, and uh, our my cousin and, and I, our parents had been... Um, had been drinking uh, heavily that night and they decided they would go out on the uh on the ute and uh it's and a my, truck yeah, uh, yeah. A truck okay <laughs> flatbed uh, utility vehicle for uh -huh. being around the the countryside uh and uh, i remember my mum um hopping up on the back and going hurry up let's go let's go and she um was a back when smoking was in vogue she was a, a smoker in the in mm. the 70s so she was smoking right next to the acetylene tanks and all that stuff oh, right, blowing and stuff up. everyone else on the back of the truck had supermaning off the truck to get away and my mum was just there oblivious and we could have all been yeah <laughs> oh a freak, yeah freak smoking accident uh on jesus the, on christ yes but yeah that's pretty disastrous holy shit uh okay well speaking about drinking uh oh. Gre greg what word best describes john when he's had a little too much to drink oh so many good words as well mm. um well apart from the aforementioned dancing sometimes mm. yeah. I, I never oh, dance i never dance that one time no uh um 
Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, we'll say, we'll go with um, boisterous, boisterous. Oh, I, I like that word too. It's a good word. Yep. Boisterous. Yeah. Yeah. And John? Not in a, not in a kind of a, a punchy, aggressive way. Right, just, right, right. Just boisterous. Yeah. And what would you say, John, if Greg has had a few too many shots? How do you describe his behavior? What's he like when he's been drinking too much? Edamant. Oh, wow. Mm. Another another great word. Mm. But generally, like I said, the time thing, right? So by the time you've had a good night, if Greg's drinking, by the time I've had a good night, maybe it's 2 a.m., mm -hmm. he's just getting started. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a late nighter, but yeah. I don't do a lot of drinking these days. It's been um, quite a long time between drinks. Yeah. Mm. I know, okay. I know uh, John's big on the whiskey, but Greg, what, what's your drink of choice? Well, as I, said, I, I don't do a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> when, let's say when, you, when you're in the mood to oh, drink. This is an easy question to answer. Well, were you going to say Malibu and Coke? Yes. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, White yeah. rum. White rum. Um, oh, yeah, okay. we, used to, we used to have a few sessions back uh, uh, some years ago when um, we'd finish projects or need a, need a good night out and we'd go and have it go down to a pool hall with the intention of playing pool for two hours and then six or seven hours later um, uh, and quite a few Malibu and Cokes later, uh, suddenly realised that the, yeah, it was time to go home. Seven right out of pool and Malibu and Coke. Um, and that just became our lolly water of choice. So uh, it was just, if you go and play pool, you have a, have a couple of quiet hours and then it's five or six hours of Malibu and Coke. Did you say lolly water? A lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, is it like yeah. a well Malibu and Coke? I okay. mean, it's pretty, pretty sweet, <laughs> yeah. It's, and uh, it's, it's like it's like a, it's not an all occasions drink, uh -huh. it's kind of like suntan lotion in a liquid alcoholic form. <laughs> Co coconut, <laughs> well, you know, Malibu, mm. it's coconut, coconut white rum, mm. yeah. Okay, love it, I love it, <laughs> but less protecting, but you know, right? Uh, if you guys were given the chance to work on any IP that exists oh, in, all, in all of video games. And you can have yeah, like, oh, I'm being cut off. What's happening? Oh, yeah. No, 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 Is, no. You guys have had time to process this question before in your heads and think about it. Um, okay. I, please continue the question. Well, I was going to say, within a limited budget, what would that IP be? June. Which one? Strongly. June, the movie June. Frank Herbert, the movie that's coming out June. Denis Villeneuve. No, doesn't ring a bell. Come on, man, get on the hype train. Get on the. I'm <laughs> trying to think. Giant worms. June. Oh, Dune. Oh, oh Dune. 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 Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dune. 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 I thought yeah. you said June. I was like, what's June? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, no, I did say. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, Dune. 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 Yeah, Dune. I, I just saw a funny TikTok regarding Dune. Some guy was like, I'm reading the book. I'm 100 pages deep and I have no idea what's going on in this book. Oh, I, think that's, I think that's intense. <laughs> I'd say if he's into the fourth book, yeah, then he's deep in the weeds and that's, that's hard to get out All of. Right. So you'd like to adapt Dune as a video game. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, what yeah. about an established video game IP that exists out there? Let's Ooh. say it was like a Zelda or a Mario or a Mega Man. Something that's like out there now that exists that you think could use some love and you guys could work on it with an open budget blank check from 
the publisher. Here you go. <laughs> what, what what game would that be? I don't know if Mario suits June. Um, <laughs> I think I'll let I'll let Greg answer that one. Oh shit! I'm trying to think of what that might be. That's a hard one. I'm actually because you're second guessing not necessarily mistakes, but shortcomings, things you didn't like about stuff that you could could do better. Oh, well, now you well, now you put yourself in the yeah, that's, in the, that's, in the that's, fire. Yeah, here's something we could do oh, better yeah, than this massive IP. That... <laughs> I think no, I found that's... the quote. Come on, say it. Say it. What is it? <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to think of uh, yeah what that might be without offending um, vast amounts of people and resource that went into making um, such lovely games. Yeah, I'm not uh, saying you'll make it better. I'm saying just oh, for a for a chance to work on. Chance to work on. Come on, you're gonna say portal, surely. Well, I mean, oh yeah, my I mean, god, I mean, give us portal um, three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah some of my, my favorite games uh in recent years have been more mm. I mean similar to, to uh Doomsday but quite um quite isolating and and puzzly. Like we played through the witness, fantastic. Oh, that's a great uh, game. Last too. couple of games before that were uh, you know, quarter one and portal two that I played to completion. Absolutely love them, just love the setting and love the puzzles and 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 stuff. Um so yeah, that'd be neat to yeah. To Portal would be great. Play with that kind of stuff. I mean, um, Valve is doing fuck off with that game anyway, so they might as well take it. And... Who's to know? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, well, they did do the Half Life Alex, which we played. Why? Yet. Why? Why do you make it sound like you know that the oh, Portal Three is coming? Yeah, like, we'll see. Like, what do you know? Oh, do you know something? Know. We don't know anything. Uh huh. What has Gabe told you? Well, he was he, here. He was here for a long time. We um we were going to invite him to to it. We have a a, a Friday pie day. Uh, which oh, every huh. Friday you rock down to the pie shop near pie days, and we were going to go. Hey, Gabe, for come your, and join us for for your American for your American audience. A pie is a meat pie, not a fruit pie. Well, I was thinking pizza pie. No, no. But no. I'm all about a meat pie too. Steak, yeah. cheese, and great. gorgeous Pace, pastry. Pastry, yeah. Ooh, it's not delicious. it's not a superfood, but it's delicious. And he might have been on some super yacht with a bunch of bunch of people up in Auckland, but we thought we'd uh, we were gonna we did half by over some whiskey, I think. Inviting, we were gonna, yeah. we were gonna uh, drop him an email and say, "Come on down for Friday Pie Day, Gabe," and then we would have had the skinny, but unfortunately, we didn't send the, the email. A, but we a super yacht. I, th- oh, I don't know. Yeah. He, he he's he actually did a lot of really good stuff when he was here. He um right. he engaged a lot of the uh, development community, mm-hmm. um like game dev stuff, uh as well as wider kind of technology, uh technology seminars and and interviews and stuff. I think a little bit of media interviewing him now and again. Um, oh, sorry, I just blew up my nose. That's the downside of having a lot of plants <laughs> yeah, in the studio with a lot of bugs. Oh. The number of bugs, like, sorry to any bug fans. I hope you didn't kill that bug. Yeah, yeah. the number of bugs I've uh, snorted and eaten in the last uh, couple of years. We do have, New Zealand has the benefit of being this kind of Airbnb for billionaires during COVID. Right. So they just end up, like, very Page just end up being here, I think, recently. Yeah. From Google, and and Gabe was here. and Gabe was here with a bunch of people that he was um, on holiday with or, or whatever, and then COVID came and he stayed for a year yeah. plus so but he was actually pretty engaged like he could have just been fully elusive and and not had anything to do with anyone but i um he got into some racing car stuff and he was sponsoring events up in um when i say up in auckland up north of us in auckland 
um, music events and stuff to say thanks very much for 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 good times and support and all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, some of the local game devs have obviously been engaging with them as well. So yeah, it's been wow. pretty fortunate. That's fascinating. Holy shit! You know, this is why I love Rapid Fire so much. You never know where it's going to lead us, and now we know all this stuff about Gabe that I didn't know before. Fascinating. All right, boys, before we wrap things up, where can we find the game? You guys give us all the social media plugs, all of the... We're all over the social all the All the PR spiel. Hit me. Doomsday Vault is available on Nintendo Switch, Steam, Epic Games Store, and Apple Arcade. Uh, you can find links to all those stores, uh, store of your choice, uh, on flightless.co.nz or at flightlessnz for the Twitter handle. And Doomsday Vault Game. Oh, Doomsday Vault Game.com. Alrighty. Well, we try to buy Doomsday but it's too expensive. Excellent. Well, that's going to do it for this week, listeners. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I learned thank a lot you about you guys, about the game, about the environment, and how we might not be as doomed as we think you are if we change a little bit. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just a little bit. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you guys and your game. It's a lot of fun. It's super chill. And it's the perfect game to take with you to bed and just turn off all the worries of the world and just enjoy a nice, fun, relaxing, cute as fuck puzzle game. <laughs> so thank you. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Well, you, thank you, that. you can take that quote to the yeah. bank and cash it, baby. It's all yours. We ride. <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's episode. Listeners, thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, John. And as always, please be excellent to each other and to Mother Earth.